Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. On September 5th, a special forces unit of the Ghanaian military attacked the presidential palace in the capital, Conakry, and deposed President Alpha Conde. This was the third coup in West Africa in the last 12 months. My guest today, David Zumenu, is a senior research consultant at the Institute for Security Studies based in Pretoria. He explains the circumstances that led to this coup, and that includes the highly controversial decision last year by Alpha Conde to seek a constitutionally dubious third term in office. We also discuss how events in Guinea fit into a broader regional trend in which once duly elected presidents become authoritarian, lose their popular legitimacy, and are deposed in a coup. Today's episode was produced in part with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York as part of a series of episodes that feature African experts discussing peace and security issues in Africa. To access other episodes in this series, please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com. Now here is my conversation with David Zumenu of the Institute for Security Studies. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. In the early morning of September the 5th, we received news or information from our friends on the ground that uh, there is a kind of attack in uh, Guinea. Initially, we thought it was a kind of terrorist attack because the region is affected by a violent extremist group. But very soon, it had become very clear that uh, the attacks were not carried by a violent extremist group, but by the special uh, unit of the military uh, in Guinea. And this is the special forces. Uh, what actually became clearer is that the intention to seize power. So the attacks were directed against the palace or where the president is staying. And uh, during the day, it also was confirmed that the president uh, was arrested, were kept in uh, the, uh, the military officer's custody. And then they announced the end of his regime they dissolve the constitution of the country uh, at the same time the government institution the parliament and everything and put on hold all the activities of government officials the communique came later to announce that they seize power and they form uh, 
the National uh, uh, Rally for Development Committee, and that will assume power from now. So that declaration actually ended all speculations. And later on, we saw the footages of a president being driven around Conakry to the tribulation of a, of a part of the people. So you had this special forces unit that I take it was was far outside the capital that in the middle of the night drove to the capital there was a shootout apparently in front of the presidential palace and they installed themselves as the the new leaders of the government can you just describe who is the leader of this group look the leader of this group whose name is now mamadou dumbuya uh, was quite unknown in Guinea and the military political cycles until that coup. Uh, but in 2018, he was introduced to the president, uh, Alpha Kunde, uh, allegedly on the advice of another president, the late Idris Deby from Chad, uh, to set up a special unit that will serve as a quick response uh, mechanism against violent extremism. So that group was set and led on Mondo Dumbia. They are well-resourced, well-paid, well-equipped, uh, and uh, they enjoy special power. In fact, the, the real idea was uh, for Alpha Conde to feel secure in his attempt to change the constitution and uh, to uh, be successful in his third-term bid. And he needs the military to protect, to protect him. So the official reason was to fight terrorism. The unofficial one was to make sure that the power is secured and he remained at the helm of, uh, of the governing body in, um, in Guinea. And Umadu Dumbuya also uh, was, uh, was trained. I think he lived in France in the French Legion, uh, under, underwent some training with, uh, with the U.S., in Israel, in Afghanistan, all over the world. So he is someone who has a very solid military uh, culture and has a solid uh, uh, leadership ability, all things that have allowed him to, uh, uh, to initiate and be successful in the coup that ended Alpha Conde's power. One wrinkle of this whole story is that that Dumbuya and his uh, special elite forces team at the time of the coup were in the midst of this U.S.-led training session. They were undergoing some uh, some training because, uh, <clears throat> you know, the U.S. has a program in the region to help them, uh, to help the countries beef up their response strategies against violence extremism. So it has absolutely no connection with all the development, the political development that comes with it. Mm. Yeah, it just is like a very embarrassing thing for the United States that this unit and this leader that they were in the midst of this training course, uh, like snuck, snuck out in the middle of the night to do a coup. Uh, it, it, it did not, I think, look well uh, at the United States. No, definitely. For any country that has a military partnership with a, with a sovereign country such as Guinea, that the, those developments are always embarrassing. But also speak to the structural problem that you can observe on the political scene. That most of the time, they were not really uh, uh, forthcoming in denouncing or calling upon the leaders to adjust. 
so you mentioned this earlier, but the one of the other sort of ostensible reasons for this coup was that the former now deposed president Alpha Conde had himself uh, sort of perhaps like done a constitutional coup uh, in a sense that he had the constitution adjusted so he could run for a third term. And uh, it, that was part of, of the reason that uh, Dumbuya mounted this military coup. Can you just briefly explain um, the political history, the political trajectory of Alpha Conde? Yes, uh, definitely. Look, Alpha Conde has been a hero in, um, in, in Guinea. Hero because of his courage, uh, to stand against a dictatorship, uh, back then under the rule of, uh, Ahmed Sikouture, the first president of Guinea, who said no to, to France in 1958 and proclaimed Guinea independence. I think the second country to, uh, Gain its independence after Ghana in Ghana was 1957. And the Sekou of Guinea was seen as a symbol of a free Africa, a symbol of liberation, and also a symbol of a, of a country that can stand um, yeah. uh, 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 its it, own ground. So from that trajectory, he became an opponent to Nasana Conte, um, another colonel who became general, who staged the coup in 1984 um, at the death of Sekou uh, And because of that, I think uh, because of its political activism, Alpha Conde was sentenced to death by the military junta. But uh, due to the pressure from African Union, regional bodies, and external partners, including France, he, his life was spared and he was able to flee, uh, to, to, went to, to, he was uh, able to go to the exile. Now, he returned to, to Guinea uh, at the death of uh, Nasana Conte. Uh, he himself, victim of a coup that took place in 2008, and the coup was led by Captain Dadis Kamara. So during the transition, he came to play a role in that transition. Of course, it was a military transition, very chaotic, very violent, whose hallmark has been the, the, the violent repression on um, the supporters that went on the stadium on the 29th of September. Yeah, let's uh, just, just, just to explain that, this was a mass atrocity event uh, committed by uh, the former military leader, Kamara, who yeah. uh, shot up a stadium full of yeah. supporters of his opponent and systematically committed acts of sexual violence, rape against uh, female uh, supporters in that stadium as well. This is like well-documented yeah. mass atrocity event that occurred. Uh, was it like 2008 or so? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It was a mass atrocity. So he is still uh, being looked for by the international justice uh, to serve justice to respond to, to those atrocities. So it tells you something about the context in which Alpha Conde stood as a candidate and won the elections and all the hope that were pinned upon him to restore democracy, to restore justice, and to be able to launch Guinea into political and socioeconomic recovery. Unfortunately, he spoiled that opportunity that he he had uh, by uh, uh, changing the constitution against the uh, uh, the position of political parties, but also social activists 
arrested most of them, sent them to jails, and using the same uh, special units, special forces, to repress those who were actually protesting against his decision to amend the constitution to stand for the third term. So Guinea citizens were astonished to see most of the most of the members of, the, of that unit in the street of, of Conakry, arresting them, kicking them, exactly in the same style as, as Dadis Kamara. And that also explains the joy that they have to see the same unit saying, uh, uh, seeing the, 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 the special unit ending the role of Alpha Conde. But beyond the ideal of the, the, the reason that the the military junta put forward uh, to promote uh, support for, 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 for the action. There are also some personal elements that we need to take into consideration. I think many people have warned uh, Alpha Conde that uh, the head of a special unit was gaining in power and influence and is not happy with the situation in, uh, in the country. He's planning something to do something, but apparently the president did not listen to them. Or if he listened, he was trying to devise a strategy to neutralize uh, Dumbuya. So it is uh, just a, it was just a matter of time that Dumbuya acted first before the president sacked him. So it was also a matter of personal survival between the two leaders, and unfortunately, Conde lost in that bid. You know, as you describe it, Conde seems to be like a sadly familiar story. You have like a heroic liberation leader uh, who comes to power, uh, does some some you know important reforms, is popular initially, but then uh, you know undermines uh, the reputation, undermines the democratic institutions of the country, uh, starts to fall out to favor in terms of popularity, and then you have this coup leader, and it seems. Um, that the coup was like broadly popular as far as we can tell. I mean, there were the scenes of jubilation in the streets seem to suggest that uh, the people, at least of Conakry, are ready for a change and, and were sort of pleased with this development. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, definitely. And I need to insist on two, two uh, factors. The first one is the fact that uh, Dumbuya is from the same ethnic group as uh, as Conde, and uh, that really dispelled or simply neutralized the ethnic manipulation mm-hmm. argument. The second one is that the jubilation that you saw is not only located in Conakry, but also in the hometown of Alpha Conde, which tells you something about the attachment of the majority of Guinea citizens to the respect of democratic governance, the respect of the rule of law that Alpha Conde floated uh, by his decision to amend the constitution and uh, to sabotage the democratization project in Guinea. So even in his hometown, they were cheering his overthrow? No, definitely. There were huh. people who were celebrating because they were not really happy about the the outcome of, uh, of the decision to amend mm. the constitution for him to stand on the third term. But he was just surfing on uh, uh, you know, the manipulation of ethnic differences because he thought he was the only one to prevent Selu Dalit Diallo, who is a Pearl, and who is also one of the main leaders to win power because he hailed from one of the uh, from one, mm-hmm. one of the majority community, 33% of, of the country, 
he thought he was the only one to prevent him from getting to, to power under the slogan, everyone but selling the Nijalo. So to see people from his hometown and to see a leader emerging from his own ethnic group uh, conducting and succeeding in that school was almost a relief for the majority of Guinea citizens. What has been the international response to this coup so far? I think we can see that the international community responded in principle. But I'm sure that behind the diplomatic uh, uh, sentences in phraseology, there have been a sense of relief, but probably also concerns expressed because of a train that democratization was taken in the West African region. And mind you, this is the third military coup witnessed in the region. Uh, two in Mali and one in uh, in Guinea, and many other countries are following the same pattern, including Cote d'Ivoire and and Benin, where leaders simply uh, uh, manipulate the constitution to or violate human rights, but still remain in power because they have the support of the, the military. So we see the reaction from uh, the African Union, which has to be conformed to, to its uh, uh, normative framework. We also seen the reaction from ECOWAS suspending Guinea, all that in line with the norms, normative architecture that they put in place to root out coup from the political culture of the, the continent. But at the same time, I think the reaction of the African Union or the ECOWAS or any other international body actually left Guinea citizens disappointed because they were, they were saying, normally this could have made sense if these institutions were more vocal, condemning and punishing leaders who were simply uh, manipulating the political process in their country to create a bed for instability. So That's there, interesting. Is a, there, is, there is a problem of credibility of those institutions. So that's interesting. So, so ECOWAS, the African Union, you know, when a coup happens, there's a familiar playbook that they follow, right? They, they suspend the member, they maybe impose sanctions, as, as I believe ECOWAS did in, in this case. But when members of these uh, bodies, ECOWAS, the Community of West African States or, or the African Union, uh, manipulate the constitution in a way to engineer or solidify their grip on power. There's less of a of a kind of playbook that they follow. Sometimes they grudgingly accept it. Sometimes they willingly accept it. So I, I see what you're saying that many uh, people in Guinea were perhaps disappointed if earlier these uh, bodies, ECOWAS and African Union, didn't come down hard on Alpha Conde when he uh, engineered the constitution to uh, permit him a third term. Yes, definitely, because uh, they most of the time took excuse on the concept of sovereignty and non-interference in the domestic affairs of a member state. But that doesn't really hold water anymore because what is happening behind the curtain of uh, national sovereignty not only uh, becomes a threat to national security, but also regional security or regional stability. And that needs to be taken into consideration when decisions are made in Addis Ababa or in Abuja. So you mentioned earlier that there is something of a trend in the region right now with uh, three coups, I guess four if you count maybe like the disputed succession in in Chad. Um, 
uh, of um, just coups in, in, in the region? I mean, is this like a contagion? Um, could we see this spread further? And what accounts uh, for this seemingly, you know, large number of coups in one relatively small region in a short period of time? No, I think the West Africa has done relatively well in terms of democratization process in the 1990s. And uh, when we look at the coup indicators from 1956 uh, up to, I would say, uh, 2000, early 2000, the ratio was at least uh, four coups per month. Um, in, the, in the region, with four countries such as Nigeria, Benin, uh, Ghana, uh, holding the lead in terms of between 10 and 15, 15 coups uh, each attempt or successful coups. And between 2000, with 2000, we've seen less coups in the region because most governments uh, came to power through uh, the election electoral processes. Some were general, others were major, but elections have become the way to see leaders in power. But for the past decades, we've seen the reversals of those gains um, uh, because if the civil society activists were successful in preventing uh, the amendment of the constitution for the third term in Nigeria, Senegal, Burkina Faso, uh, and also in, in Benin, uh, between 2000 and 2010, uh, the trend had shifted in 2012 with the first coup observed in Mali, led by Captain uh, uh, Amadou Ayasanogu. And that's often the, 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 what we are witnessing now, the wave of military intrusion. And the way the regional bodies, regional organizations, dealt with that coup in 2012, send very contradictory messages to coup protests in the region. And we know that that region has been affected by military coups, but also by civil wars. The most notorious ones are in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Côte d'Ivoire, with a devastating impact on the security architecture of the country. So what we are witnessing now, particularly this year, four military coups, uh, say something about the deterioration of the democratic construction in that region that need external partners and also political actors at home and abroad to rethink about the way they define the institutions, but also associate citizens to building their own legitimacy. And because of the absence of that popular legitimacy, the military officers think that they have the right to restore democracy which is a danger, and also this is something that the additional protocol of ECOWAS tried to war against when it was ratified or when it was first made public in 2001. So you can almost draw a straight line between the role of civil society and civil society's ability to ensure respect for constitutional processes and democracies uh, to the to, to sort of the, the reduction of the role of civil society and the increase in coups? Definitely, because mm-hmm. in most of the countries, uh, civil society actors have been arrested. The activities have been, have been restricted and they cannot really raise concern that they want to raise. Even the media sometimes fell uh, uh, under oppression 
or uh, has to be forced into into exile. So their role as 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 a watchdog is is limited, which is created the vacuum that only the military can can be caused by silencing civil society activists by sending political actors into prison. The president believe in his power because he has a military on his side. But unfortunately, then those military officers also want power and they understand how vulnerable the president is when he does not have any legitimacy, any institutional legitimacy or any popular legitimacy whatsoever. So we are speaking Tuesday, September 28th. Uh, I saw just a few hours ago that the coup leaders in Guinea have uh, issued a statement saying that they are setting up a transitional government and that no members of that transitional government will be permitted to run for political office uh, or at least a presidency or prime minister uh, when the um, coup, you know, whenever elections happen. Um, How, I guess, hopeful are you uh, that this coup may lead to a peaceful transfer of power? No, I'm always skeptical when coup leaders are planning for transition. And uh, we have a wealth of experience in the region to remain doubtful until things are completed. We've seen it in 2012 in Mali. That's really because of the way that transition is managed. Mali is still in political instability and security problem up to today. We've seen it in uh, in Chad. We also saw it in Guinea, I think, uh, in 1984, in 2008, and now. So those experiences really call for a cautious approach to the transition. I've seen the transition document. It's calling for the establishment of transitional authority, saying that people who will be part of the transition government should not stand for, 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 for the election, which are a good thing in principle. But the transition document also failed to specify the the duration of the transition. How long is it going to take uh, for, for for it to be completed? When are the elections going to be to be held? And some of those questions, I guess, will still be discussed when political actors, social actors, met with the military junta, and that is key. But already the Echo Wars has already made announcement that they don't have more than six months to plan the elections and return the, and return the country to constitutional order. Whether that call from ECOWAS is going to be heeded remains to be seen. But the position already from Guinea and the response from the military junta is that it's up to the Guinea citizen to decide how long the transition will, will last. And that's already the line of confrontation between the regional body and the local authorities. Uh, so I suppose we'll see see this play out over the next several weeks. Uh, David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Mark. It was a pleasure talking to you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to David Zumanu for speaking with me from Pretoria. And just one disclaimer that the views and opinions expressed in this conversation belong solely to those who expressed said views and opinions. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.